If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. And welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer. As ever, I am super delighted to be with you. I think I sound a little manic, uh, which is not like me, but, it, you know, we're halfway through the season. I mean, really, it's we're coming up to, yeah, halfway. In fact, we're beyond the halfway point. By the time you listen to this, we are on the depth. And I hate to say it, for <laughs> it's it's summer. It's gorgeous. I should be... Loving every day, but we're on the downward spiral now to the end of the season. And, you know, it's not been too bad. Not been too bad at all. We've had a couple of guests got locked in bathrooms. And, yeah, there's a few other bits and pieces here and there. Some owners who have gone slightly manic. Some guests who have gone slightly manic or more than manic. Um, We've had mice. We've had squirrels. We've had bears, we've had chipmunks, and and I had a spider, actually. I was out on the boat the other day and out on the lake, and I'm lying back. We have a, we have this love, beautiful pontoon boat, which, in fact, we only have for another couple of weeks before we leave this idyllic place and move elsewhere. But I was lying back and on my pontoon boat. My husband's driving it around the lake, and... I just felt something sort of tickling my shoulder and I looked down and I have to say I have never, ever in my life seen a bigger spider. It was sitting on my shoulder. I swear it was the size of a tarantula. It was huge. We have dock spiders, you know, where they're called dock spiders because they live underneath the dock. But obviously this one lives in my pontoon boat. My expletive could have been heard right across the lake and our lake is seven kilometers long by three kilometers wide. So you can imagine how sh- loud I shouted and I shot out of my seat and down to the other end of the boat, which is not far. I mean, it's not, it's not a yacht by any means, but it's not a, a cruiser. It, it's, but gosh, did I move fast? I nearly took off over the edge of the boat and just went straight in the water. I have never seen such a big spider. My husband sits there and says, it's more frightened of you than you are of it. no. That is not the case. I don't mind spiders. It doesn't really bother me. I don't mind snakes. I don't mind. We have a little frog that lives on the edge of our hot tub. You know, every time we open the open the um, hot tub cover, this little frog jumps out. And, and I have no problem with the frog. I have no problem with the water snakes that live around the dock as well, because I know they are more frightened of me than I am of them. But being tapped on the shoulder by a tarantula-sized dock spider was something I'm not going to forget for a while. So, yeah, we've we've had just about everything either in our properties or in my boat. So, as we move towards the end of the season, I'm not sure what else can uh, can come. Although, I had a knock on the door this morning and a nice man gave me an envelope and said you've been served. That's something I'll come back to in a later podcast. One thing I've been doing the last couple of days is uh, is a lot of emails, a lot of emails. And I don't know why people are still inquiring in their droves about 
summer rentals. We've got virtually nothing left. You know, every one of our 180-odd properties is fully booked. I think this coming weekend, or last weekend, which was the, which was our, we call it the Civic Weekend, the August Civic Weekend, a long weekend, and we had nothing. There, Everything was booked out. But people are still asking. Of course, we're coming up to Labor Day, so that's now getting busy for Labor Day. It was about six months ago, and I mentioned on a podcast that I'd been answering a ton of emails. And I spent, that's what I spent my day doing was answering these emails. And I had an email from someone who said, you own this company. You should not be doing this. You should be more, he didn't say more organized, but basically saying that I should be outsourcing this work. I should not be doing it myself. It's not necessary. I should be more, more strategic less operational, which is exactly right. And I know this, it's not, it's not something new to me. However, I got, I, I went back to Craig who had emailed me and I said, you're, you're absolutely right. I need to talk to you and let's talk about how we do this. Now, since that email exchange back at the beginning of the year and where I am now, apart from this last few days when I've had some staff shortages, I have delegated. We've got more staff I'm able to sit back and do some more strategic stuff. However, I still wanted to talk to Craig and learn more about his company and how he outsources, how he finds the good people in outsourcing and filters out the bad apples. And, and also, I wanted to ask him about time-saving hacks and resources. Uh, Craig Reed manages properties in Australia. And I thought when I booked this conversation that I would hear a, a lovely Australian accent. Instead, I heard another lovely accent. So why don't you just sit back and listen to this great interview with Craig Reed of Profitable Holiday Homes. So I'm delighted to have with me today Craig Reed of Profitable Holiday Homes. And it's always a delight for me to talk to people on the other side of the world. And Craig is calling in from Sydney, Australia. Craig, it's a delight to have you with me. Thank you, Heather. De delightful to be here. And as I said in the introduction, I said normally when I'm talking, you know, I start, I'm going to talk to somebody from Australia. I'm going to hear that lovely Australian accent. <laughs> and, and when we talked the other day, yep. it's like, mm, I love... Scottish accents. I had not expected one. <laughs> That's right. Well, I've I've been uh, I get I get a bit teased when I go back home because people people say I sound Australian and then you know I get teased when I'm here because people say say I sound Scottish. So I can't I can't win really. But um, I think I think I still sound fairly fairly Scottish. Haven't been here for for nineteen years, so hasn't gone away yet. Oh, it's like it's like me here in Canada. You know, when I when I go back back to UK and they say, "Oh, you've got that real Canadian accent now," <laughs> no, nobody says that here. When I go into a store and they say, "Hey, I love your accent," so yeah, it doesn't go away. And it's been fifteen years over here for me. But anyway, so you're in Sydney. You um, your company's profitable holiday homes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we are a uh, basically holiday rental management company, and we sort of specialise in turning around underperforming regional properties. And um, yeah, so the majority of our properties are in the Jervis Bay area, which uh, which is about three hours south 
of Sydney. A beautiful area with um, white sands and those sort of crystal clear tropical blue waters. So how many how many properties do you manage? Um, currently, we've got eight properties. So we're, we're still a small company. We, um, we started back in 2017 and we're slowly building up our portfolio of properties and getting some, some really great results for our customers. Well, when you say you specialize in turning around poor performing properties, what do you term a poor performing property? Well, look, I would say anything sort of under about $30,000 a year in revenue. So we would consider that to be, to be fairly poor. My experience is based on the fact that I've owned an award-winning um, holiday rental property down there for, for around about nine years now. So that's kind of become the, the benchmark of the yardstick for, for, for what properties in the area should be, should be doing in terms of, in terms of revenue. So, you know, we, we often take on these properties that are really, again, almost no bookings and taking them and, and transforming them really and, and just getting them really spectacular results. Sometimes um, increases of between 500 and 1,000% in terms of the bookings. That's crazy. So what, what do you do? I mean, we're going to come, we're going to move on and talk about some, some other stuff about outsourcing and about you know, time-saving tips and resources. But I, I'm sort of really, yeah. really just want to explore just a little bit, first of all, about how you do that. What do you do to take a property that's, mm-hmm. that's poorly performing and have such an increase in revenue? There's a few steps that we go through. The first one we, we do is I actually will go to the property and, and do sort of a, 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 almost an analysis and a walkthrough of the entire property to say, look, these are things that you, you should sort of physically improve or things that you can add. So it, essentially I create for them almost like an improvement plan that they can actually take. And, and part of that will be things that they can do straight away. You know, they're things that won't cost them a lot of money that will add value to the, the, the guest experience. Um, there will be things that they can do longer term as well. So, for example, if they, if they want to renovate the property and re- really upgrade it and spend a bit of money on it, but aside from that improvement plan, which we give them a bit of time to, to implement, we get them professional photos done. We rewrite their descriptions from an experiential point of view rather than most people will you'll, you'll, you'll look at a, a listing and it will say the usual, it's a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, blah, 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 all the, all the stats. So we rewrite all of those and then we get them listed in all the best-performing websites in, in Australia. So we get them on... Home Away, Airbnb, Booking.com. Um, we get them listed on the Australian Tourism Data Warehouse, which pro- proliferates all their listings out to all of the um, tourism websites across Australia. We get them on Travago. We list them on Google. So we just really amplify that exposure. Typically, they're 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 usually listed on say Airbnb or, or Home Away, and we really. Once we've got them all professionally set up, we, we press the button on, you know, just to really amplify the exposure. And then we manage everything for them. So we've got a really high quality professional experience with, you know, super fast response times as well. And I think that's, that's really critical to, to improving the uh, conversion rate. I've, I've found, having been in the business for what, 25 years now, when I started, really, the internet wasn't actually around much. I'd there were on it. Honestly, there were computers, but, but only just. And and so I, I sort of started out at that time where response rate was really 
by fax and and and, right. and then mailing keys and that sort of thing. So nowadays, yeah. and I know, you know, people want a response within minutes, not within half an hour or within an hour to get that book, yeah. that, book, yeah. that booking. You've got to do it in you know, almost as soon as that inquiry comes in. So we're going to come back and talk about yeah. that in a, in a few minutes because you yeah. know, that, that's what was sort of holding me back a while back. Just briefly tell us what's what's happening in the wider world. Okay, well, look, there's a couple of interesting things been happening over the past few months. Like um, like many places around the world, Australia and in particular Sydney is is under the pressure of regulation. And uh, one of the things that's happened there was a essentially an options paper put forward by the New South Wales government to look at. Um, different sort of restrictions for short-term rentals within Sydney, in particular, being you know, predominantly a lot of um, a lot of units in, in strata blocks. Um, not sure if you guys are familiar with the concept of strata blocks. That's basically just you know this apartment block that the strata is shared by all of the owners. And look, a lot of negative press coming about. Uh, you know, regarding, you know, Airbnbs. Everyone thinks that every short-term rental is an Airbnb, uh, particularly in the media. So um, the government was looking into ways of regulating that, and they've just come out with um, some recommendations around that. And one of the key things was a 180-night cap uh, in the greater Sydney area. So that basically is going to mean that those properties who don't have an owner present during the booking um, will be restricted to 180 nights of, of rentals a year. That's still fairly generous, though, when you compare it to some of the things that are happening in the US. You could say that, but I suppose for, for, for owners now, they're looking at, you know, that's a 50% reduction in their, in their potential income. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really going to hit hard a lot of those investment properties that have really been, you know, people have been looking to set them up as, as short-term rentals. And look, the other thing as well is that, um, you know, strata schemes can actually go ahead now and, and essentially ban those properties as well, as long as they're not the principal place of residence. So again, if the if the, the host is present um, on site during the booking, that's, that's exempt from the 180-day rule, but... Um, it's going to be resulting in quite a major change and quite a major uh, change to the stock of available short-term rentals in Sydney as well. Yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting when we think, you know, you're, you're on the other side of the world, you are dealing with exactly the same thing as, as we are dealing with in North America, as they're dealing with in Europe and, and really around the world. So just on that as well, that, um, um, a couple of other interesting things as well is there will be in, uh, they are implementing a code of conduct as well where there will be a, a register of all properties that are listed as short-term rentals and they're going to have a two-strike policy for any bad behaviour, if you like, which is which is an interesting one as well because in Australia, uh, the code of conduct is essentially self-regulated at the moment, so there really isn't much, uh, someone, you know, overseeing any any poor behavior of short-term rentals as well mm-hmm. so you've seen that implemented I mean, you know across here in our area just in in some of the, the some of the, the smaller townships and municipalities look looking at code of stand, you know, standards or codes of conduct whatever you want to call it but it's uh, um, yeah. so, something that the, that the the local authorities can use 
to define the rentals and whether they're, they're, they are um, behaving responsibly or not? Uh, would I want to live next to an Airbnb in a, in a strata block? Probably not. But the thing that I think is upsetting a lot of people over here in Australia is this is a New South Wales-wide regulation. The the 189 cap is only in Greater Sydney, but there's still the threat of this being imposed in regional areas as well. The councils have been given essentially the authority to impose the 189 cap wider than Sydney if if they choose to do that. Now, I, I don't think they would. I think it would be absolutely crazy because most of those areas are very heavily tourist areas. I, I know home away and stays have been have been fighting very extensively against uh, being treated the same way as you know an apartment on Airbnb in the city because it's a it's a completely different kettle of fish being you know a holiday rental property, a freestanding house in a in a in a tourist suburb, you know, two hundred kilometres from Sydney. Let's uh, let's move on to talking about yeah. um, outsourcing. Because when we first sort of made contact way, way back, probably about six or eight months ago, and I, was, I think I bemoaned the fact on, on, on a podcast that I spent half my life writing emails, responding to inquiries that said, is your property available? How much is it? And I would wake up in the morning at five o'clock and, and start responding to those emails. And you emailed me and basically told me off. You, you got, let, let's say you really got me thinking about how I was using my time, which as the yep. as president of a, of, a, of a cottage, of a property management company with 180 properties, you'd think I probably would, should be doing more strategic stuff than, than yeah. being deep in the weeds. And, and you, mentioned, yep, you mentioned outsourcing. We, we do have a virtual assistant in the Philippines and... You know, right. Since then, Hannah has been taught how to do um, emails and how to how to manage inquiries, and she she does it perfectly yep. now. Let's talk about outsourcing in general. Why is it something that all vacation rental owners and managers should look into? And also, what types of tasks can be outsourced? It comes back to the old adage of working on your business, not in your business, and I think really outsourcing is is just fantastic to be able to free up time to focus on what's really important. Um, and there's so many things that you can actually outsource um, to be able to free up your time to spend them, you know, and building your, building your holiday rental, building your business up. Um, and look, some of the other things as well, it's not just about freeing up time, it's also about cost savings as well. If, you, if you're currently using, you know, expensive resources, Within your own country to do something, there's many, many options of actually reducing those those costs as well. Um, and also, a, probably another thing as well is having sort of more freedom around, uh, you know, onerous laws or regulations. For example, in terms of employment laws and having to, I know in Australia that we've got some very, very strict laws around employing staff and the amount of hours that they have to do and the rates that they have to be paid. Um, outsourcing can give you a certain degree of flexibility around that um, as well. In terms of what can be outsourced, what I would say is anything that typically you can actually do on a computer or a phone. Um, Typically, repetitive tasks or admin are are good examples of things that you can outsource. They're very easy to outsource. Um, If you think of things that are sort of, if you like, I don't like like to say low-skilled, 
but um, the kind of things that you find yourself saying, I shouldn't be doing this. This is dull or repetitive or boring, um, where you find yourself that you would actually be adding a lot greater value working on something which is greater value to your business. You know, really look at outsourcing all of that repetitive, repetitive type work. So can, can you give me some sort of specific things that you might outsource? Yep. yep. Look, so, so I'll tell you, I'll give you an idea of some of the stuff that, that we outsource. So obviously we have our customer service team um, completely outsourced. Um, we've also got, uh, for example, social media marketing. We have someone uh, that does that. And these are all sort of independent freelancers that, that we use to do this. Uh, marketing campaign administration, basic administration, you know, spreadsheets and, um, you know, PowerPoint presentations. Um, we outsource our graphic design as well. So we get all of our graphic design uh, done overseas. Um, our website administration, um, that's another one that we do. Even software development as well. So, for example, we recently had a, a payment portal built for the for the business so that we could process um yeah, we wanted to, to build some automation around our credit card processing. We had that, that done overseas as well. Um, and other things as well, which are not, you, you wouldn't necessarily think of as low-skilled tasks, such as copywriting or transcription. Um, we also get video editing done as well. So, and um, yeah, look, there's a huge range of, of things that you can get done and really... It, it, the, the only limit is kind of your imagination, really, in, in terms of, of what you can what you can outsource. It's it's really um, it's really about getting out of the habit of doing things. I think so. In day to day, you might be as as you were, you know, writing, spending six hours writing emails. It's about stopping yourself and going, okay, do I really have to be doing this, or can someone else do this for me so I can spend my time in a more valuable way? I've I've heard the argument from from some people, and I know I've used this argument myself about outsourcing. Is that oh, it just takes too long to train somebody, and I'm far better. I you know they'll never be as good as me. Yeah, that is um, that is a common misconception in that uh, if you want to be spending the rest of your life just doing operational stuff, well, that's fine. You can continue to do that, but if you actually want to do things that are going to grow your holiday rental or grow your business, you have to step back from the operational. You have to step back from that endorphin hit that you get when you jump in and think, oh, I can do this five times quicker than that other person. I mean, I had to go through that process myself when I first outsourced our customer service because I was I was answering every inquiry and, and doing all of that. And I got to the point where um, you, I was being completely consumed by it. And, and you think, uh, as you were, spending all your time answering inquiries when you could have been taking that six hours a day, for example, and going, I'm going to spend six hours a day doing marketing rather than answering emails, mm-hmm. which, I, which, yes, will take a little bit of time to train people up to do. But once you have them trained, the value of that time it can be put to much more productive use. So are you using just one company, Craig, that, uh, that, that does all these different tasks? Because there's, there's very different skill sets required for the tasks that you were talking about, you know, from graphic design to yeah. web, you know, hand, handling a website to um, creating yeah. content. So h- how do you go about finding these people? 
I actually use independent freelancers. That's that's the way I like to go because um, there's no there's no company that's going to provide you with you know the complete range of everything that you that you need. And there's no one staff member that you know. Even even if you look at, for example, a, a VA of um, virtual admin, there's there's no virtual administration administration person that can do everything for you. So. I look at it on almost on a, a task by task basis. I go out and I specifically find the freelancer that will will meet that specific task. So a good way to find these kind of resources there's there's plenty of websites out there that deal in, in virtual resources. Couple a couple of the big ones are freelancer dot com um, and Upwork. Um, Upwork is the one that we use extensively. We've just found that we've got a great range of freelance resources on there and it's a good system in terms of being able to filter out the ones that that we want and the ones that we don't want how how do you go about recruiting though on on those sites because i know i've i've been on them i've looked for for people and you can just be overwhelmed by the amount of people who tell you they're brilliant at what they do you will get absolutely oodles of applicants for, for roles. And I think it's important that people understand that, first of all, that there, there is a huge marketplace of people out there. And as a result, what I would, what I would suggest is that people be as, really as specific as possible about the skills that they want. Um, so I wouldn't go out there and, you know, for example, you don't go out there and say, I want, you know, I want someone to build a website. You want someone to say, you want to be able to say, I want to build a website with e-commerce in it. I want it built in WordPress. I want um, someone who's got experience doing website design for a holiday rental. It's really about honing in on the the really specific details of the project. And that's going to filter down that mass of applicants into into a smaller smaller group of more specific applicants. And and what I would suggest is... um, on Upwork, for example, you'll find that people have like a, a summary line which explains their skills and their speciality. I would be looking for a mention of the specific task that you want or that specific skill, such as the, the software or, or whatever that skill is, in their actual subject line rather than looking for, for generalists, if you like. You really want specific experts. That's some really good advice. Let, let's talk about how much how much you'd expect to pay for these tasks. Because once again, there's a, there seems to be a massive range where when I've been looking on some of these sites, and I do find some of the, you know, the North Americans the, the, um, will charge a lot higher rates than you might find for, yeah. um, for, for virtual workers from um, India or the Philippines or, or even East, or yeah. Eastern Europe. How, how do you decide what's the right um, amount to pay? For a different task. Okay. Well, look. One of the benefits of Upwork is that it will actually give you guidelines on what you will expect to pay for uh, if you go into the website and you're actually logging a job on there. It will it will say you know if you're looking for people who are you know low skilled, medium skilled, high skill, it will give you a range mm-hmm. of the price in US dollars that that you're going to be um, looking to pay. Um, there's nothing to say that when you post a job, you actually have to hire someone. So you can test out the market um, by putting on fixed price jobs and seeing what what level, you know, what amount of applicants that you get for that job. 
you might find you put on a job for two or three hundred dollars and you get like 30 applicants. You might then repost it at 150 dollars. Um, and and and, you know, and filter it down a little bit more, but but again, it's not about looking for the absolute cheapest resources. You know, you do get what you pay for. It's the same as any market where you're hiring staff. But look, you know, for for general virtual assistant type tasks, you're looking at anything sort of between uh, five and ten US dollars an hour to do basic repetitive admin tasks. And, and at that price, you will get an absolute ton of, of applicants wanting want to work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would suggest to people, a couple of, couple of things, if you're new to outsourcing, beware initially of paying by the hour because you can get caught up. I'm not saying it. There's not many people I would consider to be terribly unscrupulous on, on these platforms. But if you start with a, with a fixed price, and obviously, you, you you know you then know what you're paying, and if you can be specific about what you want from your project, judge judge them on the delivery of that initial first price fixed price uh, project, and then you can always switch them over to an hourly rate if if you don't have you know a specific chunky project that you want done, you just want bits and pieces done over time. So so I've done this for example with with website development. I've taken someone on to to help build the website, and then afterwards I've just put them onto an early rate and said, hey, can you do the WordPress admin for me from now on? And they'll and they'll just bill me essentially when, when I need them to do that. Another tip as well is just to be really upfront and honest about people regarding the amount of work that you actually have for them as well. If you go on and, and sort of promise the world and then they find that they're not getting as much work as they thought they would, then people tend to lose interest and drop off and they can disappear off the face of the planet. So it's good to be upfront and honest and just say, look, I've, you know, I've only got a couple of hours a week of work on this or you know, I'm not going to need you again for a few months' time just to prevent you from getting those people that are really desperately looking for substantial hours that, that are going to be, you don't want them disappointed and falling off the face of the planet. Yeah, that's, that's fair. What about um, recruiting companies like uh, Virtual Staff Finder? How do you feel about them? Look, um, I tend to avoid any 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 of these companies. Uh, look, they can be good if you're looking for someone and you need backup for that particular role, you know, and you want that consistency of service. Um, they can be quite a good way to to go down if if you've got an agreement in place where they're going to say, okay, well, if so and so is sick or so and so leaves. We're going to train the, the next person up to, to take on that role. It can be good from that point of view. I, I don't really go for them because each with those agencies, they are paying the staff a lower rate and then obviously adding their margin on top. So you're kind of you're kind of always getting less than what you would if you went for an independent freelancer. So but again, it's there's pluses and minuses to both. If you're going for an ind- independent freelancer, and something happens to them. For example, I had one that came down with dengue fever or whatever it's called and disappeared off the face of the planet for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> you know, you've, you, you've got to weigh up the pluses and minuses. But what I would say to people is whatever freelance role you're recruiting for, try to have a backup as, as well. So particularly if you're dealing with things like customer service, you can't afford to have someone just have one person in place and then something happens to them and they're not available, um, 
because sometimes when you're dealing with these freelancers, they're they're in they're in essentially are in third world countries, and it's not uncommon for there to be uh, power interruptions or floods from time to time, and they don't have access to the internet or they don't have access to telephony, and and you can get these problems coming up. So it's really important to have a, a backup in place just in case that that does happen. Yes, we we found that. Um rarely but occasionally with hannah and usually that's due to weather yes the the philippines does get hit by you know seems to be more than its fair share of of typhoons yes and the majority of our staff that we have are in the philippines as well and we find we we really try to to get most of our staff from there because number one the rates are great number two the english skills are excellent um, and number three for us, and another important thing to bear in mind if you're outsourcing is the time difference as well. So with Australia and the Philippines, it's only a three-hour time difference, which means that um, a large part of the, the sort of nine-to-five working day is still um, accessible and we can communicate with them in, in real time uh, uh, for a large amount of, of the day. Yeah, we've, we we actually found that I mean, we've, it's, it's a 12-hour time difference between um, us and uh, and Hannah, um, which is perfect because she answers emails for us between 8 p.m. and and about 4 o'clock in the morning. When people are contacting us in the middle of the night from their you know, shift work, they're getting an immediate response and phone calls as well. So we never miss anything. We, we, we don't use voicemail. We've, we've always got a person. And it's worked incredibly well for us to have, have that overnight cover I've always been amazed at how many people are on shift and they do you know <laughs> my 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 son is a, a firefighter my daughter-in-law is a paramedic and and both well my daughter-in-law particularly she she does a lot of her sort of holiday planning in the middle of the night on a night shift and and to actually have somebody mm, at the other yeah. end the, you know who responds to an email or or a um, a live chat inquiry in the middle of the night I think uh, people are yeah they're pretty yeah, impressed great. with that the other great thing as well, is which, which I really like, is, is I might be sort of finishing something or, you know, putting something together during the day. And it's a substantial, chunky piece of work. I can flick that off at the end of the day, wake up the next morning, and there it is in my inbox completely. So um, that's fantastic as well. Yeah, so you, you fired me up thinking, right, I'll get back onto Upwork. And first of all, I think about what I need to outsource. And I think that... You know, people sometimes do this the wrong way around. They they go through and look at who's out there and then try and fit the work they've got to those people rather than, as you said, really laying out very in a very detailed way what you want to have done before you start looking. Uh, what I would encourage people to do is sit down and make a list and say, what are all the things that you do during the day? And I actually break it down into very specific categories, you know, like email, you know, answering emails or taking telephone calls or, and, and, and then also the, you know, the value add stuff like the marketing that I do in the day and actually go through and say, do I really need to be doing this stuff? You know, which of these things can I actually give to someone else to do, which is the non value add activities that just take up my time and then look to outsource those particular tasks. That's great about outsourcing. You've given me a lot of food for thought there. So what other time-saving hacks and resources can you share with us? Okay, well, look, one of the things I would say is when you've when you started to get into 
outsourcing and you, you're building up a bit of a team, so something that's going to happen to you is that you're going to start to get a bit of chaos around the coordination of some of those resources. So what I would recommend is a system to actually manage some of those resources. And the one that we use, which we really like, is Trello. Um, and that gives us the ability to to have multiple freelancers working on on different tasks and and manage all those tasks in in one place. So so we find that is a is a great tool to um, really just to set and forget and in terms of tasks and 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 get people working to to deadlines. So that that helps to sort of. Yeah, helps us with the project management of those tasks. Can you explain, yeah. a little, just just go into a little bit more detail about that? So so I've looked yeah. at Trello on a number of occasions. I know that yeah. my, my friend Alan Egan uses it all the time, and I just haven't been able to get my head around it. You say that you use it to organize your freelancers. How, how, how do you do that? So I'll give you an example. So I do little video blogs um, for Profitable Holiday Homes, and... When I do those, I go through a bit of a process of of getting a few, a few things done. So, for example, I will record a video on my iPhone. I'll download it onto my laptop. I will put that onto a cloud drive so that it's accessible to anyone. So we use SugarSync for um, all of our we, – we keep all of our, our documentation and so on about all of our, our properties and um, all of our company information on like, the cloud drive. Um, that means we can we can easily share it with with people in Philippines or India or wherever we need to share it. Um, we then will actually create a task on Trello. So we'll have a number of the great thing about Trello is you can have a, a, all these different um, lists if you like. I think they call them boards. So you can have a board, and then within that you can have a list. So you might have, for example, uh, you know a marketing list. And so I would create a little a little task under that marketing list to say create video blog. Um, I would then go in there and I can actually put in, put in a link or I can put in a, an attachment into that particular task. Everything that the freelancer needs to do the task can be can be put in there. I can then actually assign that task to a freelancer or multiple freelancers. So they, they will actually get a notification to say there's a task ready for you to work on. You can then set a date and time that that task is due as well. Um, so then they can go in there and they can add notes in there so they can say, you know, I'm having some problems with this or can you give me more details on that. So essentially, it's cutting out all that back and forth email as well. And then what you can do is, you know, for example, once they've the my video editing guy has finished editing the video, I can then go in there and I can assign it to my transcription person who can then take the video and transcribe it all. Uh, then I can take that task, I can allocate it to my web guy, and the web guy is going to upload it to the website, he's going to upload it to social media. So essentially all that stuff that in the past I would have been slaving away trying to do myself, which always takes longer than you think it's going to take, um, you know, the, the virtual staff can can handle all of that and save me a bunch of time. Yeah, that sounds great. We we use Asana, which I think is is fairly similar. From what you're saying, the way you're using it is, you know, sounds much more effective uh, so I I'll right. probably go back to Asana and just have a look and see how, how we're using that so okay so that's tre yeah. Trello what else do you use um, also um, another one you, you, that you might like <laughs> is um, a product called do not disturb email so 
um, I realized a while back that I was becoming a bit of a slave to, to, to email, not so much in terms of the volume of emails, but I found out that, that I'd gone into a bad habit of going in and checking email regularly. And then when I would go in and check an email, then the next thing I knew, I, I would have spent half an hour or an hour, you know, dabbling in something. So I knew that I had to try and keep myself away from email. So I went out and I, and I looked for products that could help me to stay away from that. And do not disturb email. What it does is you can actually, um, it works with Gmail um, and you can use this. It's essentially, it's a, it's a plugin that someone has developed and you can use it to only bring in your email at certain times during the day. So for example, if I get up in the morning and I go to check email, there's nothing there. So I, I have it set up to bring in my email at 12 o'clock um, when I when I have my lunch break, and then at, at five o'clock towards towards the end of the day when I'm sort of wrapping things up, so it really prevents me from dabbling in emails during the day, so I can really focus all of my time on productive, you know, value add activities like marketing and so on. Yeah, and uh, emails such a suck. What well, do you have one that, that cuts out the, the urge to go and check your Facebook page as well? I, I don't have one for that, unfortunately, but I'm. I think there's probably something out there which 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 does block you, but um, yeah, look, I'm I'm guilty of doing that too. That's probably the next one I need to eliminate. Um, Facebook and and LinkedIn things like that can be big time sucks as well. What I would say to people is just del- if you've got the apps on your phone, just delete them and make sure that you have your notifications switched off so that they don't keep beeping at you and interrupting you because it's it really it, it all adds up at at the end of the day. Yeah, you're ab- you're absolutely right. I've I've got a Garmin fitness watch, and every five minutes it's beeping for, for another Facebook update. It's human nature, isn't it? Something beeps, and you've got to look at it. And just taking that attention away from something that you might be doing, you know. If, and I know it happens when I'm editing a podcast, which is something else mm. I should perhaps be outsourcing, because <laughs> it will take me an hour to to edit a podcast. And probably yeah. take take me up to two hours if I'm constantly looking away and answering an email and heading to Facebook and yeah, that's right, that's right. And that's something that you know, again, you, you just got to challenge yourself on. You know, do I need to be spending my time on that, or can I spend my time in a more more effective way? And I'm quite sure you can probably after this podcast, you can hop onto Upwork and find yourself someone straight away. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I, I have been, I have been discussing the you know, outsourcing, the editing. This will be episode two hundred and forty-five, Craig. You know, this is this is tough yeah. to actually take myself away from from this. Yeah. But it, it was interesting. Yeah. I was talking to my son Mike earlier on about this, and he said, "Look," because I said, "Well, I need somebody who knows what to take out." He said, "No." He said, "Just briefly go through it, take out." The, the stuff that you perhaps talked about that you don't feel is relevant and leave it to somebody else to take out the ums and the ahs. I think the thing is you've got to be prepared for the fact that it, when you're doing using virtual workers and so on, it may not come back perfect. But if you're still saving 80% of your time, it's still worth doing. So what I take the approach of, you know, if, if they can get it 80% right, that's great. And then I will do the final check. Um, to make sure it's right, and then you know, take the box. And even saving that eighty percent of your time is is better than you know wasting eighty percent of your time doing a repetitive admin task. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
anything else that um, that, that we should be yeah look so at? from from a holiday rental point of view there's there's a few things that that we we use and like and recommend so um, obviously if people have maybe more than one property I, I would absolutely definitely that uh, recommend that people invest in the property management system um, we use three six five villas which which we really like and that's been you know a massive massive benefit to us um as we've grown um we we initially like a lot of people started out doing things pretty manually and you know uh, over time you know as you get more and more properties coming on board things get more complex and then you you know mistakes start to creep in so really having you know the property management system with the with the built-in automation for for emails and guest communications and calendar synchronization has been a massive benefit um, for us, a, a couple of other things we also use as well. We use um, Hostfully for our um, for our guests um, handbook, if you like, our guest guide. And again, that's been a massive time saver for us because we've got so many properties in the same area around Jervis Bay. Um, you know, previously I was you know, having to spend inordinate amounts of time in Word documents and. You know the, the the straw that broke the back of the camel's back was when the pizza shop decided to change location. I thought, oh my god, now I've got to go into like you know the eight different guest guidebooks and update the same address in eight different places and then save it as eight separate PDFs. And I went, stuff that, and um, it's time to look at a better way of doing things. Now I go in, I change it in one place, and it changes across all eight. So it's a massive, um, massive time save from from that perspective. So I mean, like my my recommendation also to people as well is if you're you know I I come from originally a, a process improvement customer experience background doing consulting to to large organisations and what some of the, some of the learnings from large organisations are that where there's manual processes they will look to to automate those processes so because they're they're obviously it's it's a cost to the organisation and it's also an opportunity for the process to break down and fail. So wherever I have, I find there's, that the staff are doing manual processes over and over again. I always look to try and try and automate um, some of those processes. So, for example, our, our credit card processing, we had a very specific way that we wanted that to work. We went out and we we found a, a freelancer in India, and we had a you know a, a payment portal built that integrated with our, our Stripe payment platform. So uh, wherever there's an opportunity to automate just grab it with both hands that's really good advice and i to to listeners i would i would just say that you know from from my own perspective and our experience we don't do everything perfectly in fact we probably only we probably don't do anything perfectly but over over time this this whole idea of automation has infiltrated our business and we are moving to automate just about everything that we do Definitely, we've got a long way to go, but outsourcing and and using so many of the resources that are out that are out there now. I mean, it's crazy what's available now. The thing is that there's there's so many apps out there. There's so many things that you can use to to automate things. Even if you're just a single property owner, there's so much stuff out there that you can use. And and as you get bigger, obviously, you know, people take on multiple properties or the property managers. We've always found it's definitely worth investing in in the software to be able to be able to automate processes. You know, it's it's really every single time that we've done it, it's it's been a huge benefit. 
let, let's just um, sort of forecast a little bit to, to you know, what, what, where, where do you think this business is, is going? You're seeing it from the other side of the world. It doesn't sound like it's too different to, to what we're experiencing here. What do you think is going to happen in the next five years or so? To me, the Australian market is, is a little bit different. I don't think that most holiday rental owners here are as up-to-date with technology as they maybe are in, in North America and so on. So I, I would say about 99% of owners don't have websites here for direct booking, which is quite amazing. I'm, I'm always amazed at the amount of people who don't have their own website and don't have anything other than the, the, the big OTAs to, to get bookings through. So it's a very, I'd say it's a very OTA driven market over here. But saying that, I, I think that the market will catch on to more of the book direct strategy as, as uh, over the next sort of five five years or so. And I can see that definitely you know, more and more people get building their own websites. Um, I think also another thing as well is I think there's going to be more niche websites. So rather as, you know, not necessarily web, you know, companies competing with the, with the big providers like, you know, stays home away in Airbnb. I think people more focusing on that personalized niche of, you know, maybe pet friendly or focusing in on, on a, on a niche market. Um, and I think there's going to be more of a focus on that end-to-end experience as well. I don't. It's not just going to be about accommodation. People are going to have to expand their horizons to, to to look at the full guest experience and looking at you know before they get there and and tying in with experiences when they're there. I mean, very much like what Airbnb is 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 pushing heavily now. But I think you know single solo operators and so along. Uh, can really differentiate themselves from from the big providers by by taking that 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 guest experience focus. I've certainly seen it from um, you know some of the the more successful uh, owners at direct booking and you know exploring some of those case studies where when you see that they've got a fabulous website they've got a content filled website that supplies just about everything that a, a traveler might be looking for in that area. And then they yeah. also, you know, they offer services and, and, and that comes back to what you're just talking about, sort of this end-to-end experience. And that's the way to yeah. go. You know, it, it's, you can't sit back and do nothing if you want to grow independence. You've got to really work at it. And look, and that's, and that's definitely the approach that we've, we've tried to take because, you know, we've been operating in that area for almost 10 years um, we, we know the insider tips. We, we've built up partnerships and, you know, we've, we've got discount vouchers for the whale watching crews. You know, we've got discount vouchers for the, the local art gallery. So people can go there and have a real experience of the area rather than the approach that most owners take, which is, OK, yes, you've booked my property. Here's the here's the instructions on how to get in and have a nice time. So we're really trying to look at, at, at you know, the, the total experience, if you like. What's in the future for profitable holiday homes? Well, hopefully more 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 profitable holiday homes. So, uh, <laughs> so obviously we've we've done really well for the owners that we've taken on board, and we've we've got a lot of happy customers who've who've seen their 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 bookings grow. So, um, we're we're looking to continually expand and grow the business, and um, you know, not too quickly. We want to we want to grow at sustainable pace. And um, with some of the lessons we've learned from our competitors is that growing too fast um, can be your undoing as well in terms of the, the quality of the service that you're providing to your customers. So 
So we want to grow and, and maintain the, the the amazing results that we've had for our customers. But um, yeah, look, we're um, just um, looking to to keep expanding. Well, certainly you've got the uh, you've got the resources and the um, operations in place to do so. So I, I I wish you every good fortune in doing that. Uh, I hope one day we get to meet Craig. I'd uh, I'd love to sit down and you know spend a couple of hours with you. Maybe we should bring the Vacation Rental Success Summit to Australia one year. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> we we have had people coming from Australia the last couple of years, uh, coming across to the uh, to the event. So you know you never know. You never know. You might see me there one day. <laughs> that would be great. You know, it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And it's been a pleasure hearing your accent. It's been a long time since I've heard a really good Scottish accent. And I don't hear any Australian in there. Right. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm pleased about <laughs> that. So. Hey, Dole, just, just, just in, in, finally, so what made you go to Australia? Well, uh, oh gosh, it's a long story, but I was in, believe it or not, I was an early adopter of the internet. And in 1996, I was in a chat room and got chatting to a girl who was in Australia and ended up uh, in 1997 walking off a plane, meeting her at the airport and the day I arrived in Australia and she has now been my wife of 18 years. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> So was that the first time you met her when you got off the aeroplane? Yeah, literally got off the plane and, and met her there and uh, been together ever since. That's that's wonderful. I mean, that's a really nice way to end this episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for, for joining no me. I, I'll put all sorts of um, I'll put all the everything you've talked about. I'm going to put those links on the uh, on on the show notes so anybody can um, go there and have a have a look and and. If anybody wants to ask a question of me or Craig, just um, go to the comments section under the show notes and um, give Craig a nudge or get one of his. No worries. Thanks very much. Really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to, to have a chat. Well, there was some great information in there. And, and I, for one, will be going to Upwork and... Uh, having a look at uh, what is out there. But first of all, I'm going to make that list of all the things that I do that I would really dearly love somebody to do for me. And I know I've got to kick off with editing my podcasts because every one of these, when I've, when I've done it, I, I take the SD card and, and I get it set up in Audacity, which is a great uh, audio editing program. And I will sit there and listen to the whole thing over again. And what you're actually hearing now is the edited version, of course. And I've taken out my ums and ahs and, and the moments during an interview. And those of you who are out there listening that have been interviewed on this podcast, you know that occasionally I'll just get totally lost for words or I, I'll, I'll want to say a word and I can't remember what it is. Call it my senior moments. But those get taken out. So... It's it's quite a time-consuming process. So a 50-minute podcast can probably take nearly up to two hours to edit to make sure that it's it's good for you to listen to. And I'm very, very reluctant to outsource that to somebody else because, as I said to Craig, I just don't think somebody else could do it as well as I can. But I know there are some tremendously good editors, podcast editors out there 
that uh, that could probably do a fabulous job for me and save me two hours a week. Yes, as I get into the fall and business slows down a bit, that I think is something that's going to be on my my agenda to outsource. And there's a load of other stuff too. So I'd love to hear from you about what you outsource, where you outsource, what what outsourcing platforms you're using, if they work for you, and any tips that you have that you'd like to share with other listeners. And you can come back on the show notes and um, put a comment there. As ever, please uh, email me directly, as Craig did six months ago, uh, to heather at cottageblogger.com. Often, you know, quite often, the people that I have on the podcast have just emailed me and we've had a chat and, and I've realized that they were going to be really interesting to talk to. So uh, just as it was in the case with, uh, with Craig Reed. So thanks Craig for joining me. That was, uh, that was lovely. So that was quite extensive. So I'm not going to hold you up any longer from what you're doing while you're listening to this. I'd just like to thank you once again for being with me. And of course, I'll be talking to you again next week. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business. 